All right, now it's the time for all the kiddos, preschool to kindergarten, is that correct? Follow Miss Bethany out the back door there and go to your class. It's okay, don't worry about it, it's all good. There's a little bumper video, it's supposed to have some audio, but it's... Oh, there it is. That's a lot more fun. Well, good morning, everybody. I am uh, I'm excited about this new series that we're starting today. And, and I want to just, uh, I didn't plan to say this, but after hearing the testimonies this morning and, uh, and then the, the song service, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about, we talked about this last week in Vision Sunday. We talked about kind of the plan that I feel like God has for us for the year. And there's going to be a temptation, believe it or not, for us to just glide through the next six weeks and not really let it affect us on any real level. And so um, I felt like the Holy Spirit this morning wanted to kind of point that out. And I want us to be aware that as we begin to look at what it means to love like Jesus, that we don't just get it here. And we're going to talk about that today, making the transition from our head to our heart so that we can understand the truth of not only who God is, but what he wants to do in our life. So I'm excited about what God's going to do for us, and I want to kind of lay out this morning how this is going to work over the next six or seven weeks. Um, my hope is that you had a chance to get the book or the audio, um, and you've kind of dipped your toes in that water, so to speak. If you haven't, that's okay. You're not going to be lost today. These messages uh, are intended to kind of be a companion to the book. You certainly can listen to the messages and not listen to the book, and you'll kind of understand what's going on, but you certainly are not going to get the depth of what God wants to try to do without reading the book. So if you hadn't got a copy of it, please try to do so, um, and then you'll get more out of this. Um, so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to love like Jesus or to love like that. And I want us to understand something today as we begin, that loving like Jesus is possible. And not only is it possible, but it's the best way to live. And we're going to see why that is in just a little bit. Um, I don't know if all of you are coffee drinkers or not. Some are. Some miss out on one of God's greatest gifts. Um, and it's not just what's in the cup, but often it's the conversations that happen around that cup of coffee. When friends get together, they can talk about a lot of different things. They can talk about movies. They can talk about kids, sports, politics. But eventually the conversation settles into something that's much deeper. We begin to talk about relationships. We begin to talk about things that really are significant to us about the joys and the pains that come through life. And there's not a person in this room or in this world that doesn't want to be a better lover. I'm not getting weird. Don't go there. Okay. What I mean by that is that I want to love better. And I know that you want to love better as well, but that's hard to do. If we're going to be a people who love like Jesus, there's some things that we need to understand right out of the gate. It's not difficult for each of us to daydream about a person in our world who we struggle to love. I think our knee-jerk reaction to those that we struggle to love is to assume that the fault is on their end. It's the mentality that all, that all of us need to have changed. That the, the problem that we have or the struggle that we have to love some people is not typically them, it's us. It's a lack of understanding. One of the great things about the country that we live in is the fact that we are so diverse. 
Louisiana itself is kind of a melting pot of culture, of worldviews, of behavioral norms. I want to give you an example this morning to kind of get your brain juices flowing to what I'm talking about. Um, culture specifically is something that is significant in our world. In the world that I operate in, in the fuel industry, there's a group that's professionally referred to as the Emerging Network Retailers, okay? There's even a class that all of the salespeople that represent the company that we sell for have to go through to educate them on the cultural differences um, that we're going to encounter as we engage that group of people. The people that we're learning about are first and second generation immigrants from places like India, Turkey, uh, Iran, Pakistan, etc., their way of doing business, their family structures, their values, the languages that they speak, and their expectations are very different from the ones that we operate in here in, this, in the United States. If we're not careful by we, I mean all of us, we'll make assumptions about their behavior based on our culture, feel offended, and miss the opportunity to have wonderful relationships with those people. I'll tell you, some of my best my favorite customers are first and second generation immigrants. They're professional, they're kind, they're incredibly hardworking, they're generous, they're a joy to be around. And we're required as a company to go through that training because there are some in our industry, and I used to be one of them, who would get offended by the way they try to, for example, negotiate a, a contract. Because for me, that seems rude. I, my standpoint was always, I'm going to give you my best price first. There's no room to negotiate. But for them, from the culture they come from, if they don't try to negotiate, then they are being a bad business person. Do you see the difference there? Understanding their culture makes all the difference in the world, and it opens up possibilities that simply would not exist if we continue to ignore the fact that we're different. Louisiana, for example, is such a beautiful tapestry of cultures because we have embraced each other's cultures and taken the best of those things and melded them together. If we're going to love like Jesus, we have to acknowledge that not all the people in our lives act and think the way that we do. I believe that by the time we finish this study, we're going to see the beauty of what God is doing by creating all of us so different yet so similar. So how are we going to go about such a big task? We're going to talk about this in the new series that we're starting today. It's about observing the life of Jesus and so imitating his life that you and I begin to love like him. To put it bluntly, I want to love like Jesus and so do you. You may not even be a part of the church world, but something inside you gravitates towards having solutions to relationship challenges that you face. Spouses, kids, neighbors, friends, peers, colleagues, extra grace required people and enemies. Who wouldn't want to improve their relationships, their courtships, their partnerships, or their relationships? As we begin this series, we need to understand that none of us have arrived, right? We talk about that regularly, that none of us are perfect yet. All of us intuitively know that our actions, even our intentions, can and do have a generational impact. So the things that we're learning are not just for us. They're for the generations that's going to come after us. They're for the people that we do life with. And so this is something that we want to get right. Agreed? Okay. Love isn't the overarching theme of the entire Bible and particularly the New Testament. Every New Testament writer doesn't just touch on the subject. They lean upon the topic of love. It's also the theme of most movies and bestsellers. It's the theme of every wedding ceremony. 
It's talked about at every funeral in context of remembering life on this side of heaven. If you hang out on Pinterest for just a minute, you'll see a ton of verses on love that can be hung in your home or coffee shop or office or wherever. Les Parrott, who Mickey referred to earlier, recently wrote this book called Love Like That. And I believe that it has the potential to move us from aspirational and inspirational to, uh, in aspects of love to tactical and practical. So taking it just from here and putting it into our hearts and then getting that moving out of us into action. So we're going to start this series and this campaign is called Love Like That to help us all to love like that, namely to love like Jesus. The theme for this entire series is found in the book of uh, Ephesians. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus begins with some great foundational principles of Christianity. Principles of adoption, of the blessings of God, of God's selection process, the nature of His glorious grace, the depths of salvation and redemption, and the ultimate purposes of God. Some pretty heavy stuff. By the time we slide in, or you slide into Ephesians chapter 5, you may be thinking, how does a person live out a successful life, a meaningful life, a significant life of love? Let's look at Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, and let's see what that ultimate key is. And I'm reluctant to use the word ultimate key because it makes it sound like we've got a quick fix for something. And it just seems a little cliche. But that being said, let's look at these two verses, and we're going to dissect them together. And you may um, end up agreeing with my conclusion. Let's look at it first in just verse 2 in the NIV. It says, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave of himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the message paraphrase, we get a little bit more contemporary clarity, if you will. In the message, it reads, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Live like that. There's a boatload written on love, and that's no new revelation here. The whole of Christian life is summed up by Jesus by saying uh, to the Pharisees when they questioned him about the greatest commandment, he said to love God and to love your neighbor. And we're going to look at that in just a few minutes. But it's always the how that trips us up. We can talk about loving other people well, and we can talk about that often. But the how is really where we tend to struggle. So there's three questions we got to ask ourselves. And the first one is, how do I begin? Where do we start? Don't you love how Paul broaches the subject of how by saying, follow God's example or watch what God does and then you do it. The simplicity of his opening statement is profound. The how is connected to watching, to observing, to looking intently into the life of Jesus Christ. We aren't the best observers. In fact, our culture frowns on watching other people too closely. If you do, there's a word for that. It's called a creep, right? Y'all ever met one of those? I've heard of um, some friends and family from time to time who like to people watch. I don't know if you've ever done that or not. Just looking at how people relate to one another when they're in the airport or in a mall or in an amusement park. Too much of that, however, and you're not just creepy, you become a stalker. Okay, so that's not where we want to go. To other cultures, as we talked about in other countries, that's not necessarily the case. In India, for example, it's not considered rude or a violation of personal space to stare at another person. How many times have you been in the mall and your kid is like picking her nose and just, I'm talking about looking at somebody heavy and you're like, quit staring. In other cultures, that's not the case. That's not rude or, 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 or bad. 
Moving beyond culture and back to Scripture, I'm taken aback by the number of times that the New Testament records Jesus staring intently into a person just before he does something remarkable. Look at an example of this in John chapter 1, verse 42. It says, Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. To look at something intently means to look beyond the surface, to look beyond the present, to look into future possibilities. Jesus looked at Peter, not just for who he was in the present, but for what his life could be. Jesus never judged a book by its cover. How many times did Jesus remind people that they had eyes, but they could not see? We see that in Mark chapter 8, verse 18. It says, do you have eyes and do not see? Do you have ears and do not hear? And do you not remember? Or how many times did Peter and Paul both fix their eyes on a situation before God did a miracle? Remember Peter and John walking into the temple after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They find a man begging for alms. Look at this with me in Acts chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It says, Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. For all of us to get a handle on how to love like Jesus, we need to be students of looking intently at the life of Jesus and then imitating that. The word for imitators in, in the Greek means to mimic. That word is found in the first part of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It can also be translated, follow, as the NIV, NIV says, or watch and then do, as the message says. A little factoid for you, mimics are those who follow a pattern or example. And if you want to put this very simply, you can say it this way. The, this is the goal of Christianity, is to mimic Jesus, to be like Him. That's where we're headed, that's where we're going. Then Paul gives an illustration. He says, parenthood and obedient kids. One of the goals of parenthood is having our children behave in the same way that you behave. Scary, right? To think that we have little versions of ourselves that we're raising. If you're not behaving well, well, you know where I'm going with that. So the example that Paul uses for how to follow Jesus, that how that we were talking about, the example is to follow Jesus' example as a successful parenting model, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, reminds us to observe God at work. Look at the life around you and see what God is doing in your job, in your family, in your community, in your school, in your very life. In fact, the art of observing God and following His example may be the very thing that will not only further the kingdom of God corporately, but bring adventure to your life. Do you know that God's at work in your family? Do you know that? Do you see it? Part of the adventure is looking for Him working. You may challenge or change all through your life, but God is working in all of your life, in every aspect of it. The great task is to, to be observant, to see what He's doing around us, how He's working and how we can mimic, how we can join in that work. And I want to remind us this morning just to kind of to hit the pause button for a moment and think about as we're learning to observe, as we're looking at what God's doing, not to compare our families to one another, 
to compare your relationship to someone else's because it's going to be different. God's going to do different things in your life at different times than he's going to do others. And so I don't want us to fall into the trap of saying, my family doesn't look like so-and-so's family, so I must be doing it wrong. Don't let the enemy get that in you. Don't compare how he's working in your family to others. John records the powerful post-resurrection story of Peter and Jesus in John 21. And he has just reinstated Peter, Jesus has, and his leadership. And look at this with me, John chapter 21, verses 19 through 22. Jesus said this to him, to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. In other words, the way I work in one person's life may be different than how I work in yours. But don't let that throw you. Don't start comparing your life to someone else's. Simply follow me. Your job doesn't change. Follow, observe, and do the life of Jesus. It's the only way to love like that, to love like Jesus. John records the Father is working, and I am working. When you observe God at work, it changes your behavior. Peter went on walking on the water. Observe how he's working in your family and your neighbor's lives and adjust your plans to his. Begin to do what he did. The second question we have to ask is, how do you wisely observe Jesus' life? Relationship is the key. A personal relationship with Christ is the starting point. All that Jesus did was about establishing a relationship with us. We spent a whole year talking about our redemption story, right? We remember that. So wherever you are on your journey, trying to figure it out, new to church, new to relationship with God, or a seasoned follower of Jesus, you'll find the greatest desire for you is written across the pages of the Bible. Here's a thought. Is it as simple as reading the Bible? What parts of the Bible? Where do we start? I've read the stories of Jesus before, and so have you. Whether you go to church regularly or not, Jesus' life is part of our society and our history. So you know many of those stories. So what's different about looking intently at what Jesus did? How is that different from just reading the Bible? We want to use your mind. You want to use your mind to observe Jesus. When we talk about Jesus' answer when the religious leaders questioned him in the greatest commandment, he says, with all your mind. And that's not something that we typically focus on. Look at that with me again. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We talk about that. Love Him with all your soul. We talk about that. Love Him with all your strength. We talk about that. But what does it mean to love Him with all your mind? And then He says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's an advertising slogan that's been going on for a while by the UNCF, and it says, a beautiful mind is a terrible thing to waste. And how true is that? God has blessed us with an amazing combination of physical abilities and a brain to help us to think, plan, work, and enjoy our lives. So God wants to bless, to strengthen, to renew, to guard, and to bless our minds as we focus our thoughts and actions on Him. Of course, you know there is a difference between your brain and your mind, right? Do y'all know that? Your brain can be weighed, it can be measured, it can be x-rayed, but you can't measure, locate, or understand a mind. To put it simply, your mind is the same as your thoughts. You make up your mind, you change your mind, you can be of two minds, Among other things, 
we are to love God with all our mind. As human beings, we're blessed to have great minds given to us by God. And he wants to bless and enable us to use them to our greatest potential. This can be achieved as we keep our focus on him. In Proverbs 19, verse 21, it says, Many are the plans of the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So, as we align our minds with the Lord, then his purposes will become clearer to us. So don't put your mind in neutral. Use your mind to love like Jesus. Be honest, be discerning, be analytical, be reasoned. But you can't just use your mind. We also use our emotions. We use our hearts. You've used the phrase, my heart aches, or open your heart. The heart and emotions have a deeper connection than just your, th- your thoughts. In fact, if we only use our minds, high-level love becomes an obligation. And that's not what we want. Intelligence alone without the involvement of the heart can be dangerous. We run the risk of becoming heartless. Without the heart, we lack true understanding. Without the heart, we lack the capacity to love like Jesus. You can't have just the mind and not involve the heart. As we launch into this series, we're going to discover that Jesus is more than a model or an example to follow. Jesus is the power to embrace. Jesus is the power to do, the power to be. To love like Jesus, we need to think and feel. We need to reason and emotion. We need both our head and heart working together. It's the only way to bring perfect love into our imperfect lives. Love changes our minds. It changes us from the inside out. If you're looking for a reasonable love, you'll miss it. Like I said, you want to love like Jesus. You want this to work and to be real. And I'm an optimist about you, and I think that it will. Because this love isn't elusive. It's closer than you think. So the third question is, so what? Or now what? What do we take home with us today? I got three things for you. Number one, we're going to take a journey together and we're going to make some observations about what it means to love like Jesus. We'll take some here on the weekend, some in our small groups, and some on our own. Number two, we have not arrived yet, but it is all of our desires to love like Jesus because we all have relationships that are a challenge and we want to get them right. Number three, considering a personal relationship with Jesus is our starting point in our love like Jesus journey then observing the life of Jesus as revealed throughout the Bible. And then number four, in this series, we're going to learn to engage our minds and our hearts as we look at Jesus. Amen? Okay, I got some homework for you today. All right, I'm going to share the homework, and we're going to pray and wrap this thing up. Um, I want you to do three things for yourself this week. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to go to lovelikethatbook.com. The URL is up there, or it's in the Faith Life app if you want to open that up. Or you can just Google love like that book and you pull it up and there's a tab on the right that says self-test. Go take that test. It took me about 10 minutes to work through it. And it has questions that correspond to each chapter in this book. If you haven't completed the test, you can just, uh, or haven't completed the book, you can hit the pause button. It'll tell you when during the survey. And then you can come back later and finish it. But that's going to help you understand where you are right now. And then you'll take the test again at the end of the series and see how God has grown you. Okay? Number two, I want you to keep a short journal of the times that you notice God at work this week. You may already journal. You may already write that thing, those things down. If you don't, 
Get you a little notebook. You can do it on your phone. Get you one of them little fancy flip notebooks and a pen. Stick it in your front pocket if you got one. But just take the time this week that when you notice God at work, just write that down. Jot it down. And then at the end of the week, go back and see how well you've observed. Okay? Be intentional about watching for God's work in your life this week. Don't let that be an afterthought. But be intentional. And the third thing, take a few minutes in your life group this week to review your test scores and discuss where you've seen God at work this week. I know that a couple of our life groups are in the middle of book studies. That's great. Continue your book study. Take a few minutes either at the beginning or at the end to talk about the self-test and to just discuss where you've seen God this week. Okay. Any questions about that? All right, let's pray. God, I'm so excited about this, this journey that you have us on. Lord, I ask that as we read this book as we spend time with you, as we're focusing on watching for you to do what you're doing. God, I ask that you to open our hearts and our minds to see who you are and what you're doing around us. God, help this to not just be another thing that we do, something that we check off each day. But God, open up who we are to see who you are. Let us see the things around us that you are involved in. And help us to participate in those, to see how we can join you in that work. Father, teach us to love like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The possible we're going to sing, I Stand Amazed.